You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A.com. And now we return to our ongoing series in the book called The Acts of the Apostles. And since it has been a couple of weeks, uh, let me just sort of bring you up to speed. We're, 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 we've arrived at Acts 16. And uh, you may remember that you know, Paul had his first missions trip. And that's now done. And he returned to uh, Antioch in Syria. And uh, they've regrouped. And now they're going on their second missions trip. Uh, the, the basic goal is to go back to the churches that were planted and encourage them and strengthen them. Uh, unfortunately, the, the second missions trip does not get off to an auspicious start. Uh, Paul and Barnabas get into a fight. Uh, Barnabas, can you imagine? Uh, uh, but they do. Uh, they, they get into a major disagreement over whether they should take John Mark with them. Uh, John Mark, who will, will ultimately uh, write the Gospel of Mark, uh, you may remember, bailed on the first mission's journey. Um, Barnabas is, uh, is uh, the encouraging man he is, is prone to forgive. Paul is not. Uh, Barnabas wants to take John Mark. Paul doesn't. They can't come to an agreement, so they split up. Uh, Barnabas goes one way with, with John Mark, and Paul takes Silas and goes his way. So not a great beginning. Uh, and once they start, we're now tracking Paul. It doesn't go quite as Paul had planned. Uh, he, he, uh, he had it all mapped out, but he couldn't get to where he wanted to go. And uh, if you've ever been on a missions trip, you know what this is like. Missions trips, you know, you have to be flexible. Uh, as it says in Proverbs, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And the Lord was establishing Paul's steps in a different way than he had anticipated. And one night, Paul gets a vision in the, in the night uh, of a man calling him to, to Europe for the first time specifically to Macedonia, uh, that's northern Greece. And so in the morning, Paul, uh, packs, uh, Paul and Silas pack up uh, with Luke and head for Europe uh, for the first time, Macedonia. And their first stop in northern Greece is the city of Philippi. And that brings us to our text, which is Acts 16, and I messed up. Uh, this is on me. Uh, we're, we're missing, the, the bulletin is missing a few verses. Uh, we, we start in verse 16, and I'm actually going to start in verse 13. So if you're following along in the bulletin, listen well. Uh, the first few verses are about uh, a woman named Lydia. Uh, the, uh, what's going on here is they're at Philippi. Paul and Silas and Luke go outside the city to meet with a group of women who are uh, coming together for prayer at, uh, at, uh, next to a river outside the city. This is probably because Philippi does not have a, a large enough Jewish population to support a synagogue. Okay? So that's, what, that's, that's where we start uh, in Acts chapter 16, verse 13. If you're able, uh, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? 
And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. This is God's word. You may be seated. God's good word. Yeah, it's exciting stuff, right? Let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, your word is, is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Please give us grace now to receive your truth in faith and in love, and please give us the strength to follow on the path you set before us. We pray these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The traditional Orthodox morning prayers for a Jewish man uh, included a number of blessings. 
And uh, let me just read three of these blessings to you that would be prayed by a Jewish man every morning. Uh, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who did not make me a Gentile. (laughs) Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who did not make me a slave. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who did not make me a woman. (laughs) Now there's... There's a different cultural context. Um, what I, 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 I want you to keep those, those in mind, those blessings in mind, and now think back to the text we just read. Right? Who, who did Paul and Silas and Luke meet in Philippi? A woman... Slave, a Gentile. That is no accident. Right? There is a message here. It speaks directly to that prayer. Uh, Listen, we're part of Israel, right? As Christians, we're grafted into the trunk of the tree that is, is Israel. And Israel always had a kind of separatist component to its identity, right? It, it, it had a proper self-understanding that we're separate. We're, we're set apart by God. We've been called out from among the nations to be, be a holy nation, right? To be God's uh, people. But though Israel was separated in that way and stood apart from the other nations that way, uh, it, it was also true, and unfortunately sometimes forgotten, that although separate and called out, they were at the same time, Israel was, called to be a blessing to the world, called to be the mediator of God's salvation to all the other nations. And with the coming of the Messiah, finally, the promised Messiah comes, Jesus the Messiah, uh, that begins to happen in earnest, right? Just a few weeks ago as we were in Easter, right? And we we reflected on what happened the moment Jesus died. And and supernaturally, that curtain, that thick curtain that that separated out the, the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, that split in two, right, from top to bottom. And that and that's right there is it just speaks volumes, right? That that tearing of the veil, opening up the Holy of Holies was telling us that the barriers in when Jesus came, these barriers that would keep people apart, that would be behind these sorts of blessings, were breaking down, were broken down. And that's why Paul, think, think about this, Paul wrote this to the Galatian church. Uh, he hits the Galatian church on this same missions trip. And when you, when you read Galatians chapter 3 and you hear this line, just think about the experience Paul had in Philippi. Because he says in Galatians 3, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is, not, there is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Those same three categories right there, right? The barriers of breaking down, gender, race, cultural status. 
The book of Acts is the earliest record we have of the history of the church of Jesus Christ. It tells us how it started, still tells us how it flourished, uh, but it's not mere history. It is history, but it's not just history, right? It is, me- it is history meant for your instruction. It's, it's, it's history that is instructive, it's practical, it's relevant, Uh, because not only does it tell us about what the church did in history, it tells us how the church of Jesus Christ moves forward today and what part you play in it. You know, what you do as part of the church moving uh, forward. I want to break this down under three headings, okay? Uh, First, first heading, the gospel is for absolutely every person on the planet. Amen. The gospel is for absolutely every person on the planet. That's the first heading. Second heading, the church always moves forward against opposition. Well, how appropriate it is to hear from our brother uh, today um, uh, on that point about the church moving forward um, against opposition. And then finally, the third point, Not only does the church move forward against opposition, always has, always does, the church also moves forward through you doing three things, believing the gospel, speaking the gospel, and living the gospel. Takes all three. Okay, so let's, that's our outline. Let's, let's go. First, the gospel is for absolutely every person on the planet. We already alluded to that truth here, right? The barriers are down. Anybody, anybody in this room, anybody in the world can come to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you've done, you can come to Jesus. Lydia, Lydia was a successful, wealthy, Asian businesswoman. There's no mention of her family ever, so we don't, we, we, we don't know if she was married or if she had been. Maybe she was widowed or um, maybe she never, ne- never did get married. We don't, we don't know. She seems to be a, a single woman. Uh, she was a merchant of luxury textiles. Uh, purple goods uh, f- from Thyatira. Uh, purple was uh, was a color that was very expensive to produce. The the dyes for that were very expensive, and so she she was a merchant of purple goods. Uh, she already believed in the God of the Bible. She was what the Jews called a God fearer. She had attached herself, even though she wasn't a Jew, uh, to the Ju- to the Jewish community in Philippi. Uh, she was drawn to Judaism. She worshipped. She prayed, um, uh, and but but yet she needed something, right? She needed teaching. And that's what the Lord gave her, right? That's when Paul meets her out at the riverside, right? I'm sure we don't, we're not told what he said, but we, you know, we've, we've got other examples in Acts of what Paul would say, right? He, I'm sure, just opened up the Old Testament 
to, to those women and, and, uh, and showed how the Old Testament comes to its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. That, that everything about the Old Testament, the prophets, the priests, the kings, all find their fulfillment in Jesus. The Passover lambs all find their fulfillment in Jesus, right? The sacrificial system in the temple all finds its fulfillment in Jesus. And, and, and she comes to faith. She, she becomes a believer. The slave girl, just the opposite, right? A trafficked, exploited, almost certainly abused young woman, probably local. Most commentators, scholars think she was a local girl, so she'd be from Greece. She's uh, destitute, poor, kind of uh, person that would you know, be living under a bridge in our day. Um, she owned nothing, not even her own person. Uh, so she was enslaved. Men had bought her and were exploiting her. Uh, and in addition to that, and she was spiritually oppressed, right? De- 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 demonically possessed. Um, she needed a power encounter with the Holy Spirit. And that's what she got, right? When, when Paul... Uh, uh, turned and spoke to the evil spirit and commanded the evil spirit to come out of her. Uh, And though we're not told here, again, most scholars believe that based on the way Luke uh, positions her story, the slave girl story in the text, and based on our knowledge of how the early church took care of dispossessed people like this slave girl, orphans, uh, they, the most scholars believe that uh, she, like Lydia, this slave girl just like Lydia, uh, was uh, converted and baptized and brought into the church in Philippi uh, as a believer in the one who delivered her from her spiritual oppression. And then we have the Philippian jailer, right? A, a middle-class Roman family man. Right, uh, probably a worshiper of the Roman gods. Uh, most scholars believe he was probably a former military man. That's where the jails went to the ranks of the retired military uh, for their uh, employees. Uh, so he was uh, a, a man who had likely seen a lot of death. He probably had inflicted some himself. He was a hard man, uh, a man of duty. Uh, he needed an earthquake. And he got one. And we'll talk about the fallout from that earthquake in just a a couple of minutes here. Three very different people, right? Three people that in the Jewish mind, and remember the early Christians were mostly Jews, three people in the Jewish mind that would be most unlikely to to, to become Christians. uh, to come to the come to the God of the Bible, three very different people, three very different sets of needs, and yet God pursued each one of them and gave them what they needed in order to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Here's the takeaway. Here's the takeaway for you. Don't write anybody off. You tempted to do that. I am, and we shouldn't. We should not write anybody off to think 
that there's no way that that person would ever come to faith in Jesus Christ. Who is it that you might be tempted to think of that way? Is it the bully at your school? Is it the transgender person you know who sees the church as, as his or her sworn enemy? Is it that colleague at work who, uh, who, who um, is all about work, all about money, and who sneers at your faith as a crutch that she doesn't need? Listen, there isn't one of them that God can't rescue. Not one. And the other implication of this big takeaway, don't write anybody off, is don't write yourself off. You may be here today and you are not a Christian and you don't think you could ever become one because of the guilt and the shame that you're carrying around, that you're holding inside, that you never talk about with anybody. Don't write yourself off. Jesus hasn't written you off. Or maybe you're a Christian, and, but you're doubting right now that God still loves you because you're still struggling so deeply with, with that sin that you can't seem to get victory over. Don't you dare write yourself off. Christian or person in here who isn't a Christian. God sent his son to live for you, to die for you, to be raised for you, to make you holy, to forgive your sins, to cover your shame, to bring you abundant and joyful life. You know, did you notice? I mean, Luke is very frank here. You know, Paul wasn't a great saint either. Right? Did you see his heart overflowing with compassion for this slave girl? No. It took many days, many days before he dealt with her, and then only because he was annoyed. What kind of guy is that? A very imperfect one. God draws straight lines with crooked pencils. And I'm a crooked pencil. Okay. So that's the first heading. The gospel is for absolutely every person on the planet. Second heading. The church always moves forward against opposition. What we heard today is really the majority story. Right? We, we have, uh, up until... Uh, now been, led a pretty sheltered life in, in the West and when it comes to uh, opposition to the church. That's changing. But the fact of the matter is, over time, through history, the church has always moved against opposition. It's very rare that the red carpet, the culture lays out the red carpet for, for the church. Very rare. Only moments, moments where that might happen. Um, so, um, what does that mean? Well, it means we, we need to take James's warning seriously that we looked at maybe a year ago, right? Don't be surprised when you suffer. 
Don't be surprised at the fiery trial you're experiencing right now. What did you expect? Looking at the opposition that Paul and Silas faced here, it it came, uh, it was triggered by them doing a good thing, right? Even maybe for the wrong reasons, right? Annoyance. Paul, Paul, frees this young slave girl uh, from her demonic oppression. She regains her identity, but her owners lose their business, right? As a, as a product of her, gaining, her regaining her identity. And that was their real grievance, right? They, their real grievance here was financial. It's economic. They were just bent that Paul had wrecked a good thing, a good financial thing. But you don't hear that, do you? Because in their anger, they grab Paul and Silas, drag them before the authorities. No mention of the loss of of business. What was there? What did you hear? Anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism. What they said was dripping with anti-Semitism. Hear it in verses 20 and 21? These men are Jews. Right? Right? And they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that aren't lawful for us Romans to accept and practice. Eh? Anti-Semitism. Ugly stuff still exists. Tragically, even Christians have been guilty of anti-Semitism. It's, it is, um, you know, I think demonic. I mean, it's right, that kind of deep-rooted hostility to the people of God. And we're seeing, uh, even in our context today, a kind of similar kind of bias arising against Christians. Now it hasn't risen anything to the level that our Jewish brothers and sisters have faced. But nevertheless, there's, there's an, a growing sort of anti-Christian bias, isn't there? It, it, you know, I, I, I look at those words in verses 20 and 21 and I think about our context and, and it's almost like it could be, they could, some people could say today, you know, Christians advocate customs. Those Christians are advocating customs that aren't lawful for us as Americans to accept or practice. I mean, we've come that far. We're coming or we're going. Th- that way, right? I mean, just think about it. Our culture today, what's, what is the, the consensus view about truth in our culture? That, 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 that there isn't truth, right? There isn't absolute truth. There, that there's no absolute truth. Except one thing. The absolute truth that there is no absolute truth. <laughs> See? You can't get away from absolute truth claims. You can't exist without making absolute truth claims. Even the people who say there's no absolute truth are making an absolute truth claim. That there is no absolute truth. But if you don't believe that, right? If you believe in absolute truth, if you believe in the Creator, if you believe in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, if you believe in the need for human beings to have their sins forgiven, if you believe in the fact that there is one mediator between God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus, if you, if you believe uh, that, uh, 
that, that God has created boundaries on gender and sexual ethics. If you believe in a Sabbath day, when you worship and don't work, you're going to be opposed. You're going to be lied about. Friends, our culture is on a trajectory away from God. You're on a trajectory toward God. There is going to be an inevitable collision, more than one. Just look at the experience of Jesus. Look at the experience of Paul and Silas. The tragedy is, in this country, we fill churches and we celebrate churches that are filled because they get messages, sentimental, self-serving messages that portray Jesus as some American uh, lifestyle guru who promises you the fulfillment of the American dream. It's not true. Jesus is much bigger than that. He's much more serious than that. Listen to Jesus. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The church moves against opposition, always has, always will. Be ready. Finally, third heading. Not only does the church move forward through opposition or against opposition, but it moves forward through you, Christians, believing the gospel, speaking the gospel, and living the gospel. The baseline responsibility of every person who is confronted by the message of the gospel is to believe it. And so now I'm going to confront you with the message of the gospel. In love, God sent his son Jesus into the world to live in a way that you couldn't live, to live righteously for your account, to die a, a, a death of infinite worth, to pay the divine penalty for your sins, and then to rise from the dead to guarantee your future. That's the gospel. What do you need to do in response to it? What Paul tells the jailer at verse 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Amen. Trust. Trust Him. Trust in Jesus Christ as the crucified and risen King and Rescuer of your life. That's it. There's nothing you do except believe in what Jesus has done for you. That's how, you, that's how you're saved. And some of you, some of you here, need to meet that responsibility now. That's the baseline responsibility for every human being. But now, moving on, believing saves you. Believing in what Jesus has done saves you, but it also affects, that belief affects how you live what you and I do, what you and I say, right? That's just, a, that's just a truism, right? What you believe about reality impacts how you behave. I remember 
You know, there's that movie now about the Jesus Revolution. I was a product of that. Uh, and I remember the spirit moving on our high school campus and, and a part of a Bible study that was just exploding on our campus. And, 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 uh, and one of the, our star athletes in our high school, track star and football star, came to faith in Jesus Christ. And literally, just shortly thereafter, uh, he, gets, um, he gets sideways with, the, with you know, the, the wrong crowd at my high school. Kind of a bunch of gangbangers. And they're just and they're just whomping on him. It, at on campus. They're just beating him up. And he never lifted a fist. This high school kid who'd just come to faith never lifted a fist and allowed himself to get beat up. Why? Not to earn brownie points with God, but because he had just believed in the God who had died for him. And that, you, you, we thought we had a revolution on our hands before that. Once he did that, there was no room anymore for the Bible study. People wanted to hear about this Jesus. Um, what did Lydia do? Lydia, as soon as Lydia believed, what did she do? She opened her home to other believers. She's a strong woman. She's, you know, Luke says she, she urged us and prevailed upon us. Right, um, her home became the site of the first church in Europe. A remarkable woman. Same thing with the jailer. What's he do? He gets saved. What happens? He opens his home at risk to his life. Why? Because he opens his home to prisoners. He's now harboring prisoners. Right. Uh, and, and, and not only harboring them, but washing their wounds. Again, Lydia and the jailer weren't doing this to, to be saved. They were doing it because they were saved. It was, it was all about gratitude. It was all about joy. It was all about faith. You know, another thing you do when you become a believer, when you believe and you're saved, you start to worship. That's what Paul and Silas were doing with the women outside of Philippi, right? They were worshiping, um, and that's where Paul taught, right? Teaching, preaching is part of worship. Paul taught, that's what ended up God using that to, to, to save uh, Lydia. And, uh, and then later, Paul and Silas are worshiping again, aren't they? Private worship. Where? In the jail. Right, praying, praying, and and singing hymns in the jail. Again, they're not trying to earn brownie points. They are expressing praise and gratitude and joy for their salvation. And what I want to say here, friends, right now, is that what this should remind you is that our worship here possesses a, a lot of evangelistic power. Right. If you, if you think about it, both Lydia and the jailer were converted in a, in a, kind of, in a broader context of worship. Bring your unbelieving friends to worship. Right? Let your unbelieving friends hear, just like the prisoners in that jail heard, 
The worship of God, it's a powerful thing. Philip Yancey writes in, uh, in his book, Finding God in Unexpected Places, uh, a story about Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson for Prison Fellowship went to Zambia, visited a, a notorious prison there where there was rumored to be a secret sort of inner prison, kind of like Paul and Silas were locked in. Uh, and in fact, it turned out to be true. There were, there were steel cells out in the blazing African sun, each one of these men held in solitary confinement in these steel cells. And when the word got out, they were in there 23 out of 24 hours. Uh, Paul, or Chuck Colson gets there on the 24th hour, right, where they're, where they're all out. The word gets out that Chuck Colson from Prison Fellowship is here. 80 of the inmates in that Zambian prison line up and start singing hymns. There had been a revival uh, in that prison. And, and uh, when they heard that this man, this man from America this, who had this prison ministry was there to encourage them, they sang hymns. And Chuck Colson was so moved. He said, I, I went over there to encourage them. I couldn't even speak. The power of their worship just spoke to his heart. Friends, our worship can speak to the hearts of people that you bring. But there's another thing we do uh, in living out the gospel, you know, and that's speaking, right? God isn't silent. That Francis Schaeffer reminded us of that, his book, God is Not Silent. And one of the ways God breaks silence, right, is by speaking. But typically now, today, God speaks through your mouth. God speaks as you speak his words, as you speak the truth that is recorded in the scriptures. Verses 13 and 14, Paul and Silas and Luke, it says, spoke to Lydia and the other women. And she paid close attention to what Paul said. Verse 32, Paul and Silas spoke the word of the Lord to the jailer and to all who were in his house. We need to be speaking the word out there. And I know that's intimidating. It's, a lot of us are afraid to do that, including me. It's hard, it's, you know, and, and, and uh, there are all sorts of, you know, things that make us nervous about doing that. But let me encourage you or give you something that I think will encourage you uh, to do it, to speak the word more freely, God's word, and that is that you're not responsible for the result Right? Your responsibility is to speak. Right? It's God who causes his word to be believed. If, look, if, if, you don't have it in your bulletin, but in, in verse 14, it says that Paul was speaking to those women outside of Philippi. And in verse 14, it says, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. That needs to happen. Paul spoke, God saved. You speak, God saves. Don't burden yourself with, with, with unrealistic, un, unreachable uh, objectives. Just be faithful in speaking as God gives you opportunity. He'll make that effective. Okay? 
Believing in Jesus also impacts how you face suffering. That's another thing we do that's hugely important, powerfully, a powerful witness statement, right? How we face suffering. The jailer saw something, you know, that he probably had not seen before. I mean, he'd seen a lot of people suffer, certainly. Seen a lot of, probably seen a lot of people die. Here he had two men beaten within, to within an inch of their lives, and they really were. I mean, that's, that's what happened in these things. They were caned with the back splayed open, uh, locked now in stocks. They're bleeding and in great pain. And what were they not doing? They were not cursing. They were not swearing revenge. They weren't getting angry. They weren't getting depressed. They were, what were they doing? They were worshiping, right? Singing and uh, praying. Had, it had to have had a huge impact, not only on the prisoners who heard, but, but on the, the jailer uh, as well. Um, and I have to tell you guys, one of the privileges of being a pastor, your pastor for over 20 years in one place, is that I have had the privilege of seeing you face suffering. Uh, I've not only faced suffering, but sometimes dying after suffering. And, and what has so encouraged me and encouraged this church is how you, how, how our brothers and sisters in this community have suffered and have died, right? One of the things that caused the Christian church to grow so fast and, 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 and so prominently around the world and still does today is the uncanny ability of Christians to suffer and die well. Why? Because we have an empty tomb, right? That we know that, the, the, uh, that the, our physical death, our physical suffering, even our physical death is not the end of our story. It's just the beginning of a, of a greater chapter. Amen. Opened up for us written for us by Jesus, right? Um, so that, you know, I've just, I, I think most recently, I mean, I can p- point to countless examples, but just most recently, David Jackson, right? There's David, you know, uh, missionary, retired missionary, suffering with, with, with cancer all through his body, and yet, you, you'd hardly know it, right? He's out there pouring coffee and giving you donuts. He's in here asking me hard questions at the Q&A. He's, he's showing up at widows' homes and fixing their plumbing. He's just going about life even though he's suffering and dying. That, that speaks volumes to a world that doesn't have the answer for that. They don't, that's just, that's what they want, but they just, and when they see it, it blows them away. Last thing, last thing, and then we're done. Um, there's one other thing you need to see that Christians do once they believe. Uh, and it's subtle here. You might have missed it, but it's real. Here's the question. What, what really broke through to the jailer? What was it that broke through? What got to his heart? 
Was it their worship? I don't think so. I think that was one thing. Was it the earthquake? Lots of earthquakes that part of the world. Greece is always shaking. I don't think it was the earthquake. Um, what shook him up, and I'm looking at 27 through 30, uh, no, no pun intended, is that when Paul and Silas had the ability and the opportunity to escape, but voluntarily chose to stay. That's when he said, give me some lights, and he runs in and he sees them there. Paul says, we're all here, and he starts trembling and he hits the ground and says, what must I do to be saved? What, what did he see? What was he processing? He's looking at two men who voluntarily accepted the loss of their freedom. For all they knew, they were voluntarily accepting the loss of their lives. They didn't know how this was going to turn out. They voluntarily accepted the loss of their freedom in exchange for the life and the true freedom of the jailer. Who does that? Christians. Right? They stayed so the jailer could live. And in doing that, they were doing the Jesus thing. And that's powerful. And it melted the jailer's heart. They were doing exactly what Jesus did for you. Jesus voluntarily lost his freedom for you. Jesus voluntarily lost his life for you. Jesus voluntarily stayed on the cross. He told us he could have called 10 legions of angels down to get him off the cross. He voluntarily stayed on the cross until he was good and dead so you could live and know the freedom and the joy of being a child of God. Man, when you get your mind around that, friends, if you meditate on that and what Jesus has done for us, then, we can, then we'll want to do what Paul and Silas did there. Live this kind of self-giving life. We're going to stay right here in the jail. Every other person would have taken off and run, right? That's exactly what the jailer knows. But they stayed so they could save him. That's what God's calling us to. That kind of self-giving life because that's the kind of life Jesus lived for us. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father, thank you for this great, these great little vignettes about these people who joined your church in the early days. I pray that you would not only encourage us with that, but convict us and, and uh, help us, Lord. Help us as, as believers to, to keep our eyes fixed on you, to, to internalize the gospel, to know, Lord, that, uh, um, that we are children of the resurrection. Make us fearless as we believe and as we speak and as we live out the gospel where you have placed us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.